As we come to the scripture, let me pray. Father, pray now for me, for us, as we marvel at this, your word. I pray, God, that you would put into the eyes of our hearts this picture of Jesus blessing blaze it upon us. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to First Peter in chapter 3. First Peter in chapter 3, please. I want to read there and Verse 18 to 22, verse 22 being really what we'll take up today. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, please. This is the word of the Lord. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Now, I've been reading through First Peter with an eye toward the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. That is, since Easter, as we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, we've been reading through First Peter, uh, taking up passages which give to us the implications of Jesus' resurrection. Now, that... I could put it this way, is, is rather a no-brainer. In other words, we read the Bible all the time in light of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We just happen to be doing it as we're working our way now through uh, this epistle of, of Peter, the resurrection of Jesus and its implications. We know that, as Paul said, this one who breathed out the word of God in his writing, that is, as Paul said, if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, then our teaching is in vain. Our faith is futile. Right? We have no hope for the future because we'll die in our sins if Christ hasn't been raised. And really, if all we have is hope in this present day, then we're the most pitied people to be pitied people on the face of the earth, according to to the apostles. So that's the resurrection. Now, this resurrection of Jesus is inexorably linked to his ascension. Jesus came, the incarnation, lived, was crucified, rose, and then we know he ascended. That's this verse 22. That, by the way, is all I'm going to take up today. I know you've been intrigued by spirits in prison and what baptism really means. We'll get to that perhaps sometime other time. But verse 22 is really what I want to take up here today. Who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers being submitted, subjected to him. This, in the history of the church, is referred to as Ascension Sunday. Thursday passed. 
in the history of the church is considered Ascension Day. Forty days after the resurrection of Jesus, he ascended. And so historically, that's been the day that that's been thought about or, or, or celebrated, if you will, the ascension of Jesus 40 days after. I read a moments ago from um, Acts chapter 1, where Luke lays out for us that fact in verse in verse 3. He says he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God, and then goes on in that passage to lay out this ascension, if you will, of, of Jesus. So, appeared for 40 days, he taught them, showed himself, uh, and then, after that period of time, ascended. So, on this Sunday, I want us to think about the ascended Jesus. No, 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 not quite that. I want us really to think about the ascending Jesus. I want to put a biblical picture in your mind about the ascending Jesus. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, there are certain things that even when I close my eyes, they're so emblazoned on my mind that I can still see them. There's a Event this ascension. I think that was so emblazoned on the disciples of Jesus' mind who saw it that they never forgot it. I want that to be in my mind and yours this morning. That's really my primary goal. If we can get that biblical picture in our minds. Sometimes we overlook the ascension. We skip right from the resurrection of Jesus to Pentecost, which is next Sunday, which is the 50 days after the Sabbath and followed the Passover, 50 days after, and, and therefore 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, wherein uh, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, poured him out upon the church and, and all of that. And so we, we sometimes just simply jump from the resurrection of Jesus to this Pentecost with, and sort of skip the ascension. I don't want to do that. Jesus spoke of his ascension. You might remember... Familiar passage, I suspect, in John in chapter 14, uh, as Jesus was with his disciples on that last night, he was going to have Passover with them before he would be uh, given up before his crucifixion. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to myself um, that where I am, you may also be. And so he was going away. That's, that was part of the theme of this night for them. Not only was he going to be crucified, but he was going to go away. And he was going to tell them about the coming of the Spirit. But he was going to go away. And, and, and this verse, verse 12 of chapter 14, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will I do, because I'm going to the Father. In other words, because I'm going to ascend, because I'm going to go back from whence I came, if you will, to the Father, I need you to know that you're going to do the works that I do, and even greater. Time to unpack all of that. And then in chapter 16, there he has this, this sort of discussion with them. He, he keeps sort of... I don't mean this in a bad way, but they're toying with them, saying, I'm going away. Aren't you, aren't you wondering where I'm going? Aren't you curious about where I'm going? I'm, I'm going away. Aren't you curious, really, 
uh, about that. And then in verse 28 of chapter 16, he says, I, I came from the Father and I've come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So he kind of sums it all up. The incarnation, his life, death, resurrection. And then I'm going back. And then when he prays, in the next chapter, when he prays what we call his high priestly prayer, he prays this, verse 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So you get that sense he's going to go, go back, if you will, to the glory that was his prior to the humiliation of the incarnation. As he's saying, exalt me back, put me back to my previous place my previous glory the apostle paul speaks of jesus ascension really the ascended jesus like this much the same way that we read out of first peter verse 20 of ephesians in chapter one he's speaking of the great power that raised jesus from the dead that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So you can see the glory that is to be Jesus' glory. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. We'll come back to that in a few minutes, but just hang on to that thought. He says, here he is, the Lord of all. We don't have a category in our brain really for that, right? He's the Lord of all, everything. He's Lord over everything. Everything in that sense is submitted to him. He has power over and authority over everything to rule everything. He's head over all things. And this one who's head all over all things, he gave to us. He gave to his church. So he rules over all things. One translation has it. For the church. He's ordering everything for us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We see that again in Ephesians in chapter four. Paul writes of Christ and the gifts that he's given to us as he rules and reigns. It says, therefore, the scripture says, when he, that is Jesus, ascended on high, he had a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who, was, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Get it in your mind. I know you know this. We know that he ascended. But but let's camp there for, uh, for a minute. And then, of course, this passage we often uh, use as a profession of faith. Um, I trust that you've committed it to memory, at least part of it from Philippians chapter 2, speaks of Christ's coming and humbling himself. And after his death, Paul puts it like this, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, that a day will come when the name Jesus will cause everyone to bow. Some will bow joyfully. Some will bow perhaps reluctantly. But all will recognize 
that he is the Lord of glory. That's the power of the name. Simply true. The author of Hebrews speaks of this ascended one like this in Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 3. Speaking of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so we see that he ascends and he sits and he rules and reigns as head over all things, and he's given to the church, as the apostle writes. And then in chapter 7 of of Hebrews, we see the, this, this work of G, the ascended Jesus, verse 25, because he lives forever. Verse 25, consequently, chapter 7, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's always defending us. He's always praying for us. He's always receiving our prayers and taking them on, if you will, to the Father. He's interceding for us. He's there for us all the time, ruling and reigning. Nothing can stop him. He's head over all things. So what he says ultimately goes. And so uh, we know that he's interceding, uh, really interceding for us. Final picture we've read from First Peter 3, but final picture uh, is this as the ascended Lord Jesus, Revelation chapter 5, John sees this. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, John, seeing and reporting images, if you will, speaking metaphorically, he didn't see a lamb that had been slain. He saw Jesus, the lamb with the imprints still upon him. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. He took the scroll, all of history, if you will, because he's now Lord of it all. He took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, again, praising him and the golden bowls of incense of prayers, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And for you and for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to God and they shall reign on the earth. In Jesus, we reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Okay? That's it. Jesus ascended, ruling and reigning for us, over us, interceding for us, 
there he is. Now, now Luke gives us two pictures of this ascension of Jesus. One, we've read them both this morning. And in fact, those will, especially the second, will make a brilliant primary aspect of what we'll talk about this morning. But in Acts, he, he gives certain details. In his gospel, he gives certain details as well. We realize that in the Acts of the Apostles, that he's with his disciples. He's saying, wait in Jerusalem to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus is lifted up. And we say lifted up. It doesn't mean that heaven is above us. So if we shot a rocket high enough, we'd get there. That's not the point of it. The point of it is being exalted. That's the sense of being lifted up. And in a cloud that is the very presence of God. And so and he disappears from their sight. And then two men in robes show up. Now, Luke was fond, it seems, of these two, because these seem to be the same two that showed up in dazzling apparel at the, at the tomb of Jesus and announced that he was risen. But, but there they are again. And these two say, why are you gazing up into the heavens? This Jesus has been, you know, been taken up. But then they make this point. That this Jesus... In other words, this very same Jesus, not some other Jesus, but this very same Jesus. Now, that's significant, you see, because when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised bodily. That is, he had a body. He's the God man, if you will, Jesus Christ, that same Jesus. One person, two natures, divine and human. That Jesus ascended. That Jesus rules and reigns. That Jesus, who's always our mediator. That Jesus rules and reigns. That Jesus, with whom we're seated in the heavenly places. That Jesus will return one day in the same way. I have to be honest with you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what same way means. I don't know if in a cloud. I don't know the same Jesus looking like this. But it doesn't matter. Because what I don't understand doesn't matter. Uh, but um, for those who are listening on tape or whatever, I just smiled when I said that. Now, uh hate for those people to take me seriously somewhere across the world. But... That Jesus will return. But when he writes his gospel, can camp here for a minute. Luke in chapter 24. We read this earlier. It says, then he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, same deal as in the Acts. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So you can interpose, if you will, of the being lifted up in the cloud and all that in this. And their response, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So they worshipped him. No big surprise there. He's God and they saw it. And they worshipped and they blessed God, which is another expression for worship, really, in the scripture, to bless him, to speak well of him, to praise him. But I have to tell you, what strikes me here is their joy. Now, of course, we expect the word joy anytime we're reading the Bible and all of that. But, but, but when I think about this, I think about 
these disciples and, and perhaps interpose myself there and wonder about their joy. Not a smidge of sorrow or sadness. I, I, I would expect some of that. I mean, not the same kind of sadness that they felt when he was crucified. But, but the kind of sadness that you might feel when a good friend is going to leave you for a while even. And, 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 and I, you think about that. Why, why, why joy? Why, why not mention of some sort of, sort of sadness? You know, it, it seems that they were even a bit surprised about the ascension. All he had told them about it. But let's face it, they were surprised about a lot of things when Jesus actually did them. But when we read through Acts, they said, is, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and, and he said, no, I'm leaving. And I would think, well, it, you know, there'd be a bit of sadness about, about that. If you think about their lives, I mean, here they were, ordinary. Frankly, some of them even less than ordinary men in that culture. And Jesus calls them to follow him, this great but odd rabbi, to follow him. And they went all through that for those years with Jesus, they saw the miracles, they heard the teaching, they marveled at him, they were confused by him, they knew of the threats against him, how he handled all of that. They, they would remember the entry triumphantly into Jerusalem, but then the week after that, and then the time with him on the night of that Passover, and, and then the trial and, and all of that and the miscarriage of justice so it appeared and then his crucifixion but then his resurrection and, and then they had been with him for these 40 days off and on as he appeared to them and you can only imagine what those times would have been like as he opened everything to them and went back to Moses and he said here's where I am and he went back to the Psalms and he said here's where I am and he went to the prophets and he says here's where I am and here's what that means you can only imagine the rich times that they would have been and now He's gone. Because you see, that's what the ascension is. He left. He's here now by his spirit, but not in the same way that he was when he was there, touchable, if you will. He's in heaven with God, the Father, there at the right hand. In authority and power, but I would think a smidge of sadness, but it seems not. So the question is, well, what was the source of their joy? What over, would overcome all of that? What would cause them to feel joy instead of sadness when this very one goes? And uh, I think this notice says, when he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands, he blessed them. He blessed them. Now, a blessing, Jesus being very Presbyterian here, when I hear a blessing is a benediction. That's the sense of he's speaking a good word, but it doesn't say what he said. It doesn't even say he said anything. So just blessed him. So, so how would they know the blessing if he didn't say it? And if he, didn't, and if he said it, why didn't Luke put it here? But, so we don't know what he said, if he said, but perhaps it was simply his posture. Turn to Leviticus. I know it always scares you when I do this. Leviticus in chapter 9. Now, the book of Leviticus is one that often when we get to it in our reading through the course of the year, we sort of pick up speed at times. 
You see, the big question in Leviticus, Leviticus, the Levites, the priests, so the big question in Leviticus is this. How can a holy God dwell among an unholy people? That's no slam on ancient Israel, because it's true for us too. Same question. How can a holy God live amidst, among an unholy people? So, Leviticus chapters 1 through 7 lay out various sacrifices that must be made. Because you see, if the people is unholy and God is holy, then there's a problem, obviously. And so, a sacrifice for sin, punishment for sin must happen. And if God's going to live among an unholy people, then there must be a credible substitute for them. And so God chose as credible substitutes animals and otherwise to, to take their place. And so these animals were killed in a variety of offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings to lead to a peace offering. So sacrifices for sin and sacrifices for their guilt and, and, and then peace amongst the people and, and peace between God and the people of those sacrifices. But then who can make those sacrifices? Who's able to make those sacrifices? So chapters 8 through 10 in Leviticus lay out the ordination of these, these representatives. And to be representative, they first must be holy, so sacrifices must be made for them. So there's an ordination process that goes for them so that they would be holy, if you will, in that sense, to be able to make sacrifices on the, on the parts of, of the people. And so chapter 8 is this ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests. Chapter 9 is sort of the first tabernacle service. And so all the right sacrifices are made at that point. All the rites are the sin offerings, guilt offerings, then the peace offerings that represent peace between God and the people. Then verse 22, look at this. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. You see, this, this posture is a posture of a priestly blessing. And so Aaron, after sacrifice for sin had been made, is then able to bless the people. Now we'll come back to that blessing in a minute. You know it. Your head should already be there. But bless them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burn offerings and the peace offerings. So he came down from that to bless them. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came down before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now that little part, that last part didn't happen all the time. I mean, this was like God was saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm starting this. All right? I'm starting this so, so okay, you laid it out there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to torch it. I'm going to take it, if you will. I'm going to show you this is how this works. So that when you fire it up in subsequent times, you know what's happening here. All right? So, but, but you can only imagine, I suspect, what that would have been like at that moment in time. No wonder they were just amazed, amazed at that. But the point here is this, the posture of the priest with his hands lifted and blessing the people. Now, you know the blessing that the priests were given. Numbers chapter 6, we 
did this not too long ago, I think. Numbers in chapter 6, the great uh, blessing that, uh, that, that the, the priests were given. And you know, it goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Then number 627. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The meaning there is that that the identity of God's people is that they belong to God and that his blessing is upon them. And his blessing is his promise wherein he promises to keep them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. That is, God would look upon them with a benevolent intent. Remember that word, the phrase, a benevolent intent. That he looks upon his people with the intention of doing good to them. So, when people in ancient Israel would see a priest like this, what they would think of is, I belong to God. Stop and think about that for a minute. That he is for me. That he's promised to keep me. That he looks upon me with the intention to do good to me and to be gracious to me. Which means I don't have to earn that. But he's gracious to me. He gives it to me. He does good to and for me. Not because I deserve it, but because he's God and I belong to him. So he's gracious to me. He lifts up his countenance upon me. That is, he's always watching me with this gracious favor. And with him, I will always have peace. That's who I am. That's the blessing. So that, that would be the blessing that Aaron would give. Now think of these disciples and Jesus First emblazoned upon their mind because of their teaching and their life is the priestly blessing. And then they see Jesus looking like the most glorious priest they've ever seen. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. Or maybe they had playing in their minds. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are you when men persecute you for righteousness' sake, for great is your reward in heaven. Maybe they heard that. I don't know. But whatever it was, you see, they were filled with, with joy. Because, you see, sacrifice for sin had been made. By and through Jesus. And now he says, my word to you is that you're blessed. And what's great here, the picture again, 
What's great here is that after Aaron and the priest made sacrifices, they sat down. They were done till the next time. But Jesus was taken up sort of in mid-blessing. I mean, he doesn't stop. I mean, as far as they know, he's still like this in heaven. I mean, he, you know, the Lord just, just took him. And I don't think it was because the father said, he's just going on and on. I need to get him out of here. You know, I, I think it was like he's saying, well, you know, you're going to do this forever. So just come up here and do it. And so they saw the beginning, just like when the fire burned on the altar. The people saw, yes, God accepted this. Yes, his blessing is for us. And, and, and they saw this in Jesus and said, well, this is, this is, this is how he still is. This is how he still is. Blessing. Blessing. It's that picture, if you will. I want emblazoned upon us. I mean, how do you think of Jesus? When you sin. How do you think of Jesus? When you sin. And I know we talk about sin. We don't like to talk about sin. I don't particularly like to talk about sin. Because it comes too close to home. I mean we, we all know how pervasive it is among us. I mean, we look really nice here and all of that. But, but we know. We know our lives. We know our secret sins. We know our besetting sins. As the Old dead guys used to put it. The besetting sins. Those ones that are kind of our go-to sins. Those ones that just sort of happen. Those ones that that we've been dealing with as long as we can remember. And they're still there, it seems, in various measures of strength. But there. And and we, we, we know our besetting sins, you see. How do you How do you see Jesus then? Did I say we should see him? Blessing. Saying, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Blessed are those whose transgressions the Lord does not count against them. The blessing of Jesus. His forgiveness upon us. And you say, well, that sounds too good to be true. It's way good, but it is true. And when you're tempted to sin, how do you see Jesus? And do you see him as the one who lays out these commands? He's the Lord, and so he has all of these commands. But when you see him laying out these commands, do you see him blessing? Saying, this is for your good. Uh, I have a benevolent intent upon you. Therefore, love one another. Therefore, don't envy. Therefore, don't gossip. Therefore, don't hate. Therefore, don't lie. Therefore, watch your anger. Therefore... That his commands to us are to bless us, to keep us, his good intent upon us and for us, his grace to us, that we might have peace. Well, would we see them as, as, as that which is an hindrance to us, an encumbrance to us? Do we see them as that will bless and satisfy? That's his intention, you see. His commands to us. When we suffer, how do you see Jesus? He says, this has come to you, this 
difficulty, this hardship, that you might be blessed. Oh, he tells us some of that. He says, now, this suffering will eventually test your faith and purify it and make it strong so that you'll be even more sure of your salvation than ever. In the beginning of that, we take that by faith, don't we? Sometimes you feel like he's against us. No, 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 no. I'm for you. Always. This suffering will grow you up and cause you to be mature so a day will come when you realize I lack nothing. Because I'm secure in Him. I'm secure in God. Blessed, you see. Where good things come to you. How do you see Jesus then? Or even do you? I I must say that there are times when good things come. I just sort of brush by them. Oh, sure, that happens all the time. I deserve that, which is good. And I've really worked hard and I've done my job and I've been a good husband. I've been a good father. And so, of course, everybody loves me. But, you know, I should see Jesus blessing that I might give thanks. The disciples, realizing Jesus had just said to them that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I don't know how that would have struck them. It would have struck me with some measure of fear. Because I knew what Jesus said about enemies. And yet I would remember that he taught me from the Psalms that he would be exalted. That the nations would be given to him. And thus, all right. We can do this by his spirit, empowered by him, the one who rules over all things for his people. On that night, Jesus was betrayed. He gave them a different look. At least he would of his Arms extended. See, his arms were extended first in agony, in death, so that he could make purifications for sin, so that a day could come when he would raise his arms to bless. They go together. We, we must endeavor to separate the one from the other. And they must be in that order first, arms extended to die, arms extended to bless. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, said, this is my body, which is given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. We have two pictures emblazoned upon our minds. Jesus, the same posture, one to die, so that. He could bless. Never forget that. 
live by it. Let's pray, Father, for us. I pray that we would know the Jesus who gave himself. And we would know the Jesus who gives himself. The Jesus who gave himself for our sins. The Jesus who gives himself to bless. Enable us, God, to trust you, to know you. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our suffering and pain, in the midst of our temptation, in the midst of our feeling vulnerable and weak, in the midst of the calling that you have upon us, in the midst of all that happens to us that we look at and embrace as good. May we know Jesus who died for us, that we might have peace, that we might know his blessing of forgiveness, of grace to help in every time of need, of his blessing. So I pray that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we would know that we are in the very presence of Jesus by his spirit. And that he rules and reigns even now. And that so that we might be in the deepest and richest sense of the word blessed. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remind you, this table is not the table of grace. Evangelical Presbyterian Church is the table of the Lord, and he invites to it all those who know themselves. See, everyone who knows themselves knows themselves to be sinners in the sight of God without hope except in his sovereign mercy. But who also knows the Lord Jesus, knows that he is the Savior of sinners, and thus They receive and believe in him as he's offered to us in the gospel as just that, as the savior of sinners. And those who then desire to live a life blessed by Jesus, forgiven, secure, kept, guarded, protected, graced at peace peace with God that's true for you I invite you to come these two sections come down this aisle to my left these two down the aisle to my right take a piece of bread dip it in the cup close your eyes what do you see please come